0: God, good to see you, Amen. This morning, Hallelujah, Amen. Uh, many of you know Pastor and uh, Connie are in uh, Malaysia, Amen. They will be coming back uh, tomorrow uh, afternoon, early evening, Amen. And so, good to see you, Amen. Memorial Day tomorrow, Amen. The picnic of all picnics. And the softball game. These guys are already, uh, Glendale's still talking trash. And so if you show up tomorrow, we encourage you to, i are going to start the game at 10, just so you know, uh, come cheer for us. Yeah. I got on somebody this morning, man. They tell you y'all going to lose. I said, hey, are you with Glendale or Chandler? Leave that floating out there. So I'm saying, if you come, come and cheer for us. I'm already I'm converting Pastor Campbell back. I think it was God that made sure he's out of town, so he couldn't play for Glendale this year. <laughs> ah, glory to God. The um, past few weeks, uh, Pastor's been doing the Sunday school on some of our core convictions as a church, uh, as a fellowship. And he's talked uh, various things about keeping our word, uh, that we are, you know, as part of our, in our DNA. uh, Keep your word. You tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. You you know, uh, uh, and so uh, he talked about uh, being a congregation of redemption, uh, that when people come into the doors, and this is so critical, that no matter how broken, messed up, uh, what they've done, backslidden, whatever the case may be, that uh, they'll find a people who have a spirit of redemption. And, uh, you know, and that's one of the things, uh, you know, as you, uh, that I've heard around the fellowship of, of just Pastor Campbell at the Chandler Church. Uh, I have known uh, of men who have uh, uh, fallen in different situations uh, and, uh, and they have found that uh, they have choices to go to different churches. And uh, they choose to come to Chandler uh, for the very thing that uh, that they believe that this church will be able to redeem them. And that is very, very uh, foundational but critical uh, because, I mean, you know, we all fall short. And to be able to know that uh, you can be redeemed and you can uh, not just, you know, uh, uh, you know, wallow in what you're dealing with, but you can actually recover, get back up again, and go forward with God. Uh, He's talked about witnessing and, you know, being able to, uh, one of the core convictions we have is that we're not just a church of four walls waiting for people to come to us. You know, that's much of the church world. Again, just waiting for people to come, but we actually go out and, and, you know, uh, I've often said, very rarely will you see other churches uh, going door to door pre I mean, uh, sometimes Mormons, but other than that, uh, it's us and us. Amen. You know, it's us. or You know, sometimes we used to k- uh, joke, you know, even in North Carolina, sometimes we, you know, we got to worry about running into our other church on an outreach, you know what I mean? And so um, witnessing, though, that you have a personal uh, life of evangelism, that uh, we believe that uh, uh, people don't just come, they must be brought, okay? And so we must... Uh, uh, Declare the gospel, as I mentioned a little bit in uh, Men's Discipleship this morning. So, and last week, or last couple weeks, I think, has uh, been talking about the altar and uh, the critical aspect of the, the, the altar in, in God's house. This, this uh, piece of real estate here, if you will, this area uh, uh, that God has ordained to meet with his people and the sacrifices and uh, Talk a little bit about that this morning, but I'm going to leave the altar uh, for him when he gets back next week. Next week I'll be out of town, but uh, I, I'll allow him to pick up where he left off. But this morning I want to talk about uh, one of the things that I personally uh, means so much to me as a, uh, a core conviction that we have as a church that really moved me when I come to this church is uh, this, this conviction of prayer uh because you know uh, you may not realize and some of you do of course that uh praying as a fellowship as a corporate thing especially is absolutely rare it's absolutely i had a a guy come to me just the last time maybe last week when i preached and he said uh pastor he's kind of newly been coming he I want, to, I, 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 I want to pray, I want to pray. And when I told him, I said, okay, no problem. We open our church every morning, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. You can come and pray. We pray before every service. We pray before. I. He was looking at me like, oh, y'all pray. I just, you know. And so he was like, oh, this is, you know. But the reality of it is, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, if you were to go to church and say, hey, I want to pray, say, well, go pray. Or, you know, pray at home. Pray. I mean, and I understand that, but the idea, uh, two things that really stand out to me as far as our prayer, one is corporate prayer, and two is that we have morning prayer. Uh, uh, These are biblical, uh, no doubt, but they are uh, uh, missing in uh, much of the church world, and they're very critical and core to what we do. I believe it's Pastor Campbell who, you know, was in the assemblies of God. And he went to a Prescott conference. And by his own testimony, he looked into the prayer room and heard the rumbling and saw these people praying. And when he saw that, God immediately spoke to him, this is where I want you. This is where I want you. And so it was in the atmosphere of corporate prayer that God met with our pastor moved him into our fellowship and and, and obviously so much uh, uh, we've been directly affected by that and so um i want to kind of uh, dive into this a little bit uh the idea of prayer then i'm going to branch out a little bit and talk about uh, uh one of the altars that were in the holy because this pastor talked about the altar i began to kind of study the altar And I came across uh, a particular altar that was in the holy place in the temple, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But let me hand out a few scriptures and just kind of lay a foundation. Matthew 26, uh, verse 36, Billy, Uh, Luke uh, 22, 39, George, if you will, Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Guillermo, and then maybe Isaac, you can grab uh James 514 and I want to stop now let me give it let me let me give acts 114 okay if you want to grab that send acts 114 uh, Matthew 1819 okay Maria Leviticus 26 and 8. Tim, if you will. Okay, and then uh, we'll probably jump over to Exodus chapter 30, 1 through 8. Uh, I think I see Israel back there and then Aaron if I get another scripture. So, okay, so let, uh, let's just lay a foundation. We always have to do this. When you talk about prayer, uh, and I'm going to come back to this, but you always got I mean, you know, you to start with Jesus praying. Because honestly, we just kind of look at that, but the fact that Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, prayed as much as he did is a revelation about prayer in itself. If you understand, I mean, the fact that Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, he who walked the earth perfect, he had just descended from heaven, and yet a a third of uh, what you see in his life, he is actually praying. If you can just grasp that right there, uh, we, could, we could close the book uh, as far as talking about the need to pray. Uh, so Matthew 26, 36. Uh, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. Okay, Luke twenty two thirty nine. 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Okay, keep, I'm sorry, through 41, I'm sorry. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Okay, Uh, uh, so uh, here's Jesus Christ, we hear words like, as was his custom. Uh, He's talking about not entering into temptation, uh, he's, he's withdrawing himself, and so there's a period where he, other people are doing other things, uh, uh, and he's got to withdraw himself to pray. And so obviously we could go on and on, but uh, G, this was his custom. This was something important to him. This was when uh, other people had other things to do. Jesus, you find him oftentimes praying. First Thessalonians 5.17. And he said, pray without ceasing. Okay. Paul speaking, pray without ceasing, okay? And so uh, the foundation being everything comes out of prayer. Whatever ministry God would have you do or, uh, you know, it comes out of prayer. Who you date, marry, uh, comes out of prayer. When you consider how much you should give or what you should give or, uh, you know, it comes down to prayer. This is why... You know, you've heard our pastor say many times, well, what should I give? I don't know. Ask God. Okay? And so uh, uh, praying uh, about a healing, uh, healing, you know, we pray uh, for the sick. And we believe that prayer is powerful. Uh, James five fourteen. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church.
1: Let, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord.
0: Okay, again, let the, if anybody's sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Okay, and so uh, this is obviously a, a practice, we, uh, something we put into practice. And so uh, I used to always tell the church, you know, uh, back there, you pastor, even pastoring, you pastor the church through prayer. There's way too much personality Uh, backgrounds, uh, different issues, way too much for any human, uh, so to speak, to actually be able to grasp and get a hold of uh, unless you pray. And so um, uh, uh, Robert uh, McChaney, an old-time preacher, uh, one of my my favorite uh, preachers, I've read uh, uh, plenty of his books. Uh, uh, especially a while back, his books on holiness and prayer. But he said, what a man is on his knees, that he is and nothing more. And he's talking about the reality uh, of prayer. We know that prayer is a measure of spirituality. And, and, and so I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about corporate prayer. Matthew chapter uh, 18 and verse 19.
1: Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven.
0: Okay, go, go read verse 20, if you will, as well. Um,
1: for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them.
0: Okay. Uh, uh, he says, where well, you're gathered in my name. Okay, if you agree on anything, you're asking. This is the Spirit uh, of prayer and so uh, corporate prayer uh, is a powerful dynamic uh, that when we come and pray together. And this is why you know he says my house will be called a house of prayer. We we know that, but uh, you know you've heard he didn't say your house will be called a house of prayer. He said my house, this church, our church will be called a house of prayer. And so when people say well I can just pray at home, we know that to be true. But the thing we always have to ask ourselves as Christians. If what what if everybody did what I do? Whether it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether we're talking about your, your faithfulness, whether we're talking about uh, your giving, your pre- if everybody in the church took the attitude I personally have, how would the church be? And so if everybody took the attitude, I'll just pray at home. How would his house be a house of prayer? Wow. How would this scripture be fulfilled if uh, it's also because a lot of times we just isolate ourselves, but we're a body of believers and this is God's body. And so if everyone took the attitude, hey, you know, I'll just, you know, pray at my house. Acts chapter one, verse 14.
2: These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers.
0: OK, we know this is the upper room. And again, they're all there praying together. And this is a dynamic uh, when they're all there praying together. The Bible says the Holy Spirit fell amongst them. And uh, they were all in one accord, the same spirit. Cornelius' house, it says him and all his household were there. And they were praying and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And so uh, there's a powerful dynamic uh, when we come together. And pray. It is an edifying element uh, that causes other believers to be uh, built up. I can recall at various times uh, just being in a prayer room and hearing other people call my name out. I may have ever been there, and you hear somebody praying for you. They don't know you're there. They don't know. This is even before as a pastor. Sometimes as a convert, I remember early starting my prayer and hearing people pray for me. And I remember thinking. At that, it's like they got more faith for me than I got for me. But it moved me. It, it moved me. It stirred me. Um, and so there's this edifying. This is how I learned how to pray. I remember hearing Frankie Chi in the prayer room. I, it's very distinct. I'm trying to, you know, a lot of people when they learn to pray, they come to me and say, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't know how to pray. And I remember being there. But I would hear Frankie Chi praying. And I'm like, well, that's a good start. And I just listen to what he's praying about. I'm saying, yeah, I could pray for my mom. That'd be good. Yeah, I could pray for the church. Oh, yeah, I could pray for. And so there's this edifying element that is involved uh, in prayer. I want to uh, uh, look at Exodus. The time is already moving. Let's, let's look at Exodus. And I want, uh, as I was studying this, uh, thinking about preaching in the altar, this, God showed me this. Exodus chapter 30. Uh, Who would I give that to?
3: You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two, two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. With you, And you shall make for its molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make of it. Under the molding on on both sides of it, you shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on its... Uh, oh, here.
0: stop for stop for one second. Okay, let me let me just kind of expound. And uh, Whitney, I didn't tell you, but if you could put the New Living Translation up, I uh, uh, the other day when I was uh, in the office working on, I, I realized I left my Bible at home, and so Old Faithful Lost and Found had plenty of them for me. And so I grabbed a Bible, and, and it was the New Living Translation, and I I never really looked into this, but I. I I I looked at it, and it's profound in in the way it translates some of this, and even uh, I used it for much of the sermon I'm going to preach this morning. So um, in this text, uh, this is God instructing Moses. And this is very critical, and he says in chapter 6, he says, Place the incense altar just outside the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. And so I want to... He's talking about in the tabernacle now. They go into the tabernacle, and what happened in the tabernacle? When you went into the tabernacle, you had the brazen altar, and uh, that brazen altar was a picture of repentance. This is why we sing the song, take me past the brazen altar, and so at the front entrance of the tabernacle, before you even begin to even come into the presence of God, you're working your way to the Ark of the Covenant said, first, you got to go past uh, uh, this brazen altar and then the brazen lever. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. And in that holy place, they would have this table uh, of showbread. And, and uh, I might not be able to get into all of that this morning. They had this table of showbread. And then you had this altar of incense that our scripture is talking about that we're reading about. And then from there, it says a thick curtain or the veil And uh, beyond the veil, of course, was the place we call the Holy of Holies, uh, the most holy place. And so he's saying this altar of incense is to be uh, in the holy place, but right outside the veil, right uh, uh, by or near or actually right before uh, the most holy place. And so I just want to lay that foundation, this altar of incense that we're going to talk about. And so let's keep reading verse. uh, Let's read six again. So we see
3: it. And then let's read seven and eight. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Okay, okay. So here we have the
0: holy place in the temple. And again, you read the brazen altar. And so we're going to pass this brazen altar. We're going, uh, there's no other way into the tabernacle, by the way, I must say. There's no other entrance. There's no other way. You had to pass the brazen altar. In other words, before you decide to come into the presence of God, you got to repent. Okay, you, there's no other way. There's no other method. It's not just worship. We got to repent. Okay, and so then uh, it talks about uh, you had to, this brazen lever or this brazen laver. And what that was was an Old Testament type of New Testament baptism. Okay, the brazen altar, an Old Testament type of New Testament repentance. The labor was an Old Testament type of New Testament uh, uh, baptism. And so, here you have repentance. Here you have uh, uh, baptism. And so, the priests now, in order. To go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place uh, where the presence of God was. He had to pass this braze of repentance, uh, this labor. He had to wash himself. We, we understand to wash himself or be like uh, baptism. And then what most people do right here is they go right into the Holy of Holies, which is a picture of a Holy Ghost baptism. And so uh, many times it's what we do. Repentance, baptism, and we go right into the Holy of Holies, this Holy Ghost area. But... uh, uh uh, first, though, uh, before that, what people miss is this other altar, this altar of incense that is there and uh, uh, our scripture talks about. And so the brazen altar, again, was the big altar where they would sacrifice animals, oxen. It was huge. But this little altar right here, this this altar of incense that is right outside the Holy of Holies, right outside the veil, our text says, is a very, very critical uh, 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 altar, these uh, priests would come in, and what they would do is they would uh, burn this incense. They would offer this incense up to the Lord. Now, we don't do that today, unless perhaps you're Catholic. Right. We understand here uh, yeah, that uh, this Old Testament's incense offering had a New Testament fulfillment. I mean, once the fulfillment is realized, you don't need to do the practice anymore, okay? Just like Jesus Christ is our lamb slain from the foundation of the earth for all of our sins, right? So uh, this is why we no longer kill animals for sin. Nobody's doing that, right? Nobody brought a lamb here this morning. Okay. okay. Thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine we got to carry all our animals in here, okay? So, so I'm laying this as a foundation because then the same way, uh, we also don't need to burn incense anymore because there's now a New Testament fulfillment to this Old Testament type of burning incense. Who, who knows what that New Testament fulfillment is? Billy, it's prayer. New Testament. The reason we don't have to burn the incense now is because our prayer is now going to replace this Old Testament incense. Are you with me? Let me give a few scriptures. Psalm 141, uh, 1 through 2. I want I want to lay this out here. Psalms 141, okay, Tamika, uh, verse 1 through 2. While we're here, let me give Revelations 8, 2 through 4. Okay, Raymond. Uh, okay, 1 Peter 2, 9. Isaac, Romans 12, 1. I may just... I'm not sure if I'll read those or okay, Caleb. Okay, Tamil. Go ahead.
2: Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense.
0: Okay, as let my prayer be set before you. This is David now. He says this, let my prayer be set before you as incense.
2: Go ahead. The lifting up. Of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Okay,
0: so here's David. Even though David lived in Old Testament times, he evidently, you know, had enough insight, godly wisdom, if you will, to realize there's more here than just incense or just smoke. Obviously, there's going to be something bigger that it symbolizes, and so David had this revelation, and he said, "Lord, let my prayer be lifted up to your throne as an incense." And so instead of getting, you know, uh, me going to get some bloody animal, he says, let me lift up my hands and let this be a sacrifice of praise. So David, like it, prayer unto incense. Revelation 820 or 8, 2 through 4. And I saw the seven angels who stand uh, before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he could offer Uh, It with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Okay, Uh, so he here's another passage where prayer and incense are intertwined. And he says that the prayers of the saints are to be offered with this incense and it's going to go up to the nostrils of God. That is what prayer is to God. We, it is a sweet-smelling aroma. We could talk about Cornelius. We know he's praying it. He says, your prayers and your almsgiving have come up as a sweet-smelling aroma before God. That is what prayer is to God. That is what, when he hears you and I pray, when he hears your voice. Uh, and so this is what it means. You know, we often think about what prayer means to us. Oh, why I need to pray. Oh, this is about me. Oh, I need to pray. Why I need to... But have you ever considered what your prayer means to God. Because he says here, it's a sweet smell. And so the thought here is that God, who's now got to look down at all the filth and sin and debauchery that is going on in the world, God's up in heaven looking at all of this. And when you and I pray, uh, it's like it, it covers this. It is almost like God who is about to move in wrath, who wants to, he's looking and he wants to move in judgment, but when you and I pray, it's almost, it's this aroma that comes, and it's like the mercy of God moves into effect. This is why God says, if my people who are called by my name would pray, I'd heal the land. He's ready to move in incredible judgment to. And yet he's seen us, and it's like this incense of prayer; it removes the stench of all the sin that's coming. It removes the uh, uh, the stench, the foul odor of sin, and now it makes it somewhat bearable. Well, that's what your prayers do for God. That's why David said, "Let my prayer be like incense before your throne." Yes, uh, George. I think, it's, I think it's interesting when you look at the way that the Word of God looks at sacrifice and prayer and worship, that they can all be a sweet-smelling server. They can savor. They can all have the opportunity to, to cover something, you know, and it's why it's like, uh, you know, th- those three things, you know, prayer, worship, and uh, sacrifice, they are all linked. Prayer is sacrifice, and it's worship. You know, and so that carries a lot of weight with God for the people around us. It, it, it's a sacrifice. Yes. We're going we're gonna to look at the actual sacrifice in just a moment. In the Old Testament, uh, uh, there were 12 tribes, right? Uh, there 12 tribes of Israel. How many of those tribes got to go into the tabernacle and perform uh, the duties of a priest? One. Which tribe? The Levites. The tribe of Levi. And so... In other words, what I'm saying is out of the 12 chosen tribes, only one got to perform the duty of a priest. And so uh, this was a privilege to offer this insight. This was a privilege to be able to do this. Only the one tribe got. The others could stand out and look, but they could not partake. And so uh, this tribe of Levi, those priests, uh, actually got to do. Can you imagine being that tribe? And being the one who could go before God. Can you imagine? I hope you can. Because the Bible says that the New Testament church, you and I, not just the preachers or somebody who preaches, but the Bible says that the entire New Testament church is likened unto what? A priesthood. That's why First Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy okay. nation. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So now this moves us into the New Testament. The Old Testament, the priest would come in, perform all of this. But now God says, I know now the New Testament fulfillment of that are you and I, my church. You are now the priests. This is why Romans 12, 1 says, beseech you therefore, Mr. Rose was talking about by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. What Paul is saying here is that, remember, the priest used to offer a dead sacrifice, but now he says you and I should offer our lives as a living sacrifice. What he's saying is you're now going to do the service Of a priest, I want to tell you. I'm saying this because prayer is a privilege. It is a privilege to be able to offer your prayer before God. To be able to say, God, I understand. It's not just about me, but I'm offering incense unto God. Remember, the other eleven tribes did not get to do what you and I get to do. Now, I mean, know if you would have been a priest back in those days, it was messy business. See, we look at, they didn't wear white shirt and ties. They didn't wear Hugo Boss suits. Not that this is a Hugo Boss, but they didn't do that. Priest was a messy job. It was a bloody job. They would have to deal with these these animals and the cutting of, and so in that time would have been blood and guts, and it was a gory horrible, uh, see, it has nothing to do with pastoring, but anyway, they would, it was just a messy scene. Some of you will catch that. But. And so, you know, people would bring in their, again, their animals, right? They're going to come sacrifice. And, and, you know, they had different animals for different, you know, sins. You know, you'd have the oxen for one type of sin. You'd have a lamb for another. And so, actually, it, it, when people would bring their animals in, some, sometimes you could just be like, Walk. I know what sin you committed. Cause they just walk in with a certain kind of... But my point is, you're the priest, and it doesn't smell good. I don't care whether it's lamb, an oxen, whatever. It doesn't matter, turtle does, whatever. It's messy. It's stinky. It... Blood does not smell good. And the priest, he's having to cut this out, and the blood is flowing. Put yourself... It's nauseating. It's it's atrocious. It's horrible. And now he's got to go into the presence of God. Now remember, if if God didn't accept him, he'd kick him right out, right? He'd die. If the bell didn't, you know, the whole the bells, they're holding the bells outside there. And if them bells stopped ringing, it's time to drag the priest out because he's a dead man. Because God said, I'm not even accepting this. So they'd wash up. But have you ever dealt with? Animals, people catch fish, different stuff. You've, and you wash, because he went to the labor and wash, but the s- smell is still there. You with me? The stench is still there. And so you, we went past this brazen altar. They repent. They go to the labor wash. They, they okay, they baptize. I, I, I'm clean, but the stench is still here. And now picture you and I, we're the living sacrifice. We've come, we've repented, we got baptized, but we still got a stench on us. We still we still sin, and now we're trying to get into the presence of God. And God says, if you're going to try to come in my presence, you better offer the altar of you better get this incense going. You're going to have to pray before you come into my presence. And and your prayer actually makes you where now God who's, your sin is reproaching, our our sin's reproaching him, but our prayer is like covering the sin. And God is saying, okay, now, now, listen, now I can deal with you. And so when you you and I just don't pray, we just decide, oh, I'm just not going to pray. What we're saying is, God, I'm just going to come into you, I'm just going to try to meet with you, have relationship with you, and all this filth and mess and blood that's on me. And it was actually a picture of uh, Calvary. All of this blood and mess, this Old Testament, was a picture of Calvary. And so as messy as it is, God is showing you and I Calvary. This is why it's gory and messy. This is why prayer is not optional. It's not, well, the church just prays. Well, we, we can pray, if not pray, you know. You can't even be really in relationship with God without it. That's right. it, it, it you got to understand, it, you're the, we're the priests. And we're going to try to go into the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And we're hoping, God, that what you'll accept me. Prayer washes. It, it makes the living sacrifice bearable. And not just for God, I might say. You ever... Going through something and I know we pray and God heals and God does miracles sometimes when we pray. But I mean, sometimes you can pray and you don't get healed. Sometimes you're going through something and your prayer, it, it doesn't, in a sense, remove the situation. These these priests would like this incense, uh, but it would cover the stench or kind of help the stench out, make it bear, But the stench was still there. And so sometimes when we pray, uh, the, the issues that we're going, uh, that we're dealing with in life, it's not like they just go away, but it makes them bearable. You've been dealing with something, man, and it, oh, oh, I don't even, this is, this is gut-wrenching, man. This is, this is messy. And it's not going away, but you can come to a prayer meeting or get a hold of God, and it's still there. But that prayer has made it bearable. That prayer has now enabled you to continue on. And so so many people who are going through messy situations in life and things that they're doing, and yet they don't pray and they're wondering, listen, Pastor, I can't bear this. And then when Pastor says, well, why don't you just pray about it? Yeah, well, just what is that gonna? It's gonna make it bearable. It's not gonna remove it. May not heal it. But you're gonna be able to endure it. Let me pause for just a moment. Any questions, comments, thoughts? Prayer. Tamika, yes.
2: I recently backslid last year, and the first thing to go was prayer. I was going to morning prayer with uh, AJ, faithfully. I was living in Tempe, coming to Chandler every morning before I went to work at 6, praying but that stopped uh, fasting stopped and right before that i mean after that that's when you know I, I i left the church um i let my issues get bigger than my prayer life so if you're out there dealing with something prayer is the answer
0: yeah anybody i know who's who's you know somewhere down the road in their christianity who's backsliding i've told you before the people i've been able to talk to and ask what happened why'd you back and they can you know there's This disagreement, this offense, there's all kinds of things. But almost to a T, all of them will tell me, I stopped praying. What do you think happened? Prayer was enabling you to deal with all of this same stuff that was already there. And the moment you stop praying, what was at first bearable because of prayer, now you're not praying. The same things are unbearable. And this is, you know, people, people, because see, we're always looking for a tangible, what is prayer? I pray, but what's happening? Pastor, I don't see nothing happening. You have no idea in the spirit realm what is really happening or what God is preventing from happening that actually could be happening or just the fact that you're here and able to pray. Every it, This is what's happening, that you're able to continue and go forward. This is why I opened up and said, why do you think Jesus prayed so much? This is Jesus. But the Bible says very clearly we are to be, in the world but not of the world and so Jesus the sinless son of God has to walk through humanity and all this mess and all the and eventually take on the sin but in the midst of that he said listen i've got if i'm going to be able to make it to the cross if i'm going to be able to bear all of this all the rejection the betrayal the lying on me he said listen i got to have a sweet smelling aroma man in the midst of all of this, man, I just, I gotta have something that covers this, all this mess, if I'm gonna make it to my destiny and make it to the cross. It's way more than just, you know, okay, we're just, we're just meeting together, man, and just going through a ritual. You, you, you may be able to, I guess, make it without prayer. You're gonna, it's gonna be a miserable existence. This is why so many, and I'm not just talking here, but I see Christians. I'm like, why, why are they so down? Why are they so angry? Why are they so upset? Because the odor and the mess, you're trying to bear without prayer. And you can't, not successfully. Ariane.
4: I was just going to say, um, I just remember talking to Jennifer about prayer recently, and we were just talking about the aspect of like, because growing up in the system, you deal with a lot of psychiatrists and stuff. So um, the idea is like, we live in a generation where it's very emotional. A lot of youth, like youth are like, everything's based off of reaction of your emotions and how you feel. And it's so crazy, because um, I was, we were talking about like, as I, like when I do, because well, sometimes, you know, you deal with emotions and you want to just tell somebody about it, you know, you just want to go and splurge. But at, at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want to throw up on people and, the amazing thing about prayer with God is, like, God is your psychiatrist. I, like, I look at it like that because it's, like, like um, I was going to get into psychiatry, and I just thought about how can you tell people only God can do, like, a lot of the psychiatrists, what they do, only God can really do because you can't tell a person that there, there's no hope for them because that's only the job of God. So the, the way I looked at it is, like, he's, he's my psychiatrist. Like, when I'm dealing with something, and I really want to tell people, but it may not be a need to tell other people, but you could tell God and that's the amazing thing about prayer. Like prayer gets you through all that emotional, the emotional aspect of the world.
0: Yeah, so you don't need to go sit on the couch and tell somebody who don't know you. When you can tell somebody who really knows you, who made you and knows exactly where you are, what you're going through. Uh, I was talking to uh, Men's Discipleship today. Even being a pastor sometimes, I'm I'm sitting uh, across from people and they're telling me stuff. I don't have a clue what to tell them. I'm sitting there like, this is way above me right here. And, you know, I'll listen to them the whole time. And, and then, you know, you know it's getting time that they're going to, like, look to you. They're just laying it out. But then it's like, okay. And so I don't know how many times I've sat there and the whole time somebody's talking, I'm thinking, I don't have a clue. I don't know what t- this is. And at, right as they finish, God will dr- I'll speak. And it's like they'll know and I'll know that was God. That was God. And I'll be sitting there like they, we're kind of looking at each other like, <laughs> right, because the spirit realm, the spirit realm, and, and, and God, is a, this, God has order. He has different ways uh, that he has ordained before be getting the of time for his kingdom to work. He knew before the into the beginning. He understand. And so understanding that and being able to go to God in prayer is what a privilege. We, ha- we are the priests now. And what a privilege that it is. And I just oh, yeah, I'm not just, watch out. No, 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 no. I get to go in and meet with God in a holy place, commune with him, offer prayers up to him. Think about the world that you and I live in. Think about God just saying, if my people would pray. If my people would pray. If they pray, I'd, I'd heal. We look at and I know we say, but the revelation of him saying, I know it's messy. I know it's sin-filled. I, I see all that's going on, but I've made a method for that. Last one, uh, maybe Diego, and then we're going to. And let me just say before Diego says this, uh, having said that, this is, I'm, I'm amazed by this church at the level of prayer that happens in this church. Uh, you know, uh, you just show up one morning, and you just see people coming in. People that you wouldn't even probably perhaps consider that they're praying. They're not trying to be called. They're not trying to go out and pastor. They're not. They're just trying to raise. They're called a revelation. Listen, God, we need you. God, I can't do this on my own. And I'm amazed sometimes. I'm just like, people are just coming in to pray. Our prayer room, yeah, you know, we, pastor has kept the edge and, you know, he, he can preach sometimes when, we're, when it's lacking. But I've been to other churches, sad to say some in our fellowship. And you're like, do we, do they pray? Do they still pray before service. And so I, I'm saying, I, you know, anytime you preach something, you got you to understand who your audience is. And I, and I, and I want to say, I appreciate it. No doubt this is what it is. People have been able to withstand and bear, and saints have been able to go forward. And, uh, 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 there's a connection here. And it's not just for a church. It's also for your life. Yes, Diego.
1: Yeah, I think pray uh, is one of the most important things in the Christian life. You can, you can have ministry. You can have a, a, a lot of talents and personality and uh, even be faithful and read the Bible a lot. But you can replace with nothing your prayer life. Uh, I thank God for this church. When I got saved, it's one of the first things that they uh, have. I, I, I see the conviction in my brothers. They pray. They teach me how to pray. And I see my personal life. When I pray less is when all the uh, sin entice me more. When uh, all the um, uh, devil try to get me more is when I, 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 don't pray, I don't have my prayer life. But when I pray, I, 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 I can pass through all those problems and and and, and pray is like a, you have a savings account you, the more you pray the more savings you have and when you have those needs those uh, problems you can go to those savings and grab and and, and and pass through those problems yes and pay all the stuff you 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 need to pay yes so the, the, the more you pray you more savings you have and the more your your life Go for God, you
0: know? Yes, amen. If all, of it, if all it is is a standard, you've missed it. If all prayer is, well, I've got to pray because I want to be in ministry. This is why anytime time people come to me, that's why I make sure people want to be in ministry, that whoever's leading it, they send it to me. And anybody who's gotten in ministry since I've been here has talked to me about it. I tell you why we have standards. I tell you what every standard, what it is, and not just you need to do it, but why. Why we have it. And then I tell you, I, I ask you, you go away, pray about it. And decide now if you want to be in ministry. Because I want you to know whys. The wisdom is in the whys. We're not just robots. We need to understand why we do what we do. And as you do that, then you'll have a conviction about it. Amen. We're out of time, guys. Amen. God bless you. We'll get started here shortly.